This week's episode of A Cast of Kings is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code Cast of Kings at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Cast of Kings, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Game of Thrones. I'm David Chen, and I've never read any of the books in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm Joan Robinson, and I've read every book in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find more of our episodes at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. You can also email us at acastofkings at gmail.com. That's acastofkings at gmail.com. And find us on Facebook and Twitter at acastofkings. Uh, what we do here on the podcast is we spoil everything through this week's episode of uh, Game of Thrones, and that means that this week we'll be spoiling everything through Season 5, Episode 8, entitled Hard Home. We will not spoil anything from future week's episodes, so that means nothing from future book readings, nothing from the next time on preview, but everything through this week is totally fair game. Uh, so before we get into this week's episode, Joanna, uh, got to say a couple things. Firstly... Episode 8 is apparently the new episode 9, is it not? Yeah, last year we saw Oberyn die, and this year, yeah, good times. Incredible episode uh, yeah. of Game of Thrones, and we'll, we'll really looking forward to diving into this one with you. But you know what, Joanna, occasionally on this podcast, uh, we make mistakes. No, uh, what? It, it is a complete, you know, you're surprised every single time I say that. I always <laughs> but, forget. But you, yeah, I know. You seem to keep forgetting. And that's okay because it's easy to forget given how incredibly knowledgeable we must come off on a weekly basis. <laughs> um, but no, we, we make errors all the time here on the podcast. And uh, last week we made a couple of errors. Um, so specifically, I uh, made mention of story of Stannis and how he's supposed to sacrifice his daughter and compared it to uh, Abraham and Isaac in the Bible, many of our astute uh, listeners pointed out that, in fact, uh, a far closer comparison is the story of Iphigenia uh, in the myth of Troy. Uh, and that's a far better comparison. So look it up uh, and you will find a good parallel there for the Stannis-Shireen uh, storyline there. Uh, also, I think you made a stumble as well, right, Joanna? Sure. Um, <laughs> I I still contend that the <laughs> rules around the smoke baby are not entirely clear. But what is clear, you know, you asked why aren't Stannis and Melisandre just making a smoke baby to take care of Ramsay and Roose. And the answer that Melisandre keeps giving Stannis when he asks her the selfsame question is basically, your fires are burning low, low, my lord. Basically implying, I think, that if they were to do that again, Stannis would die. Um, his energy level, his essence is so depleted. Right. I wonder if that's just Melisandre's I'm tired tonight, honey, excuse that she's giving Stannis. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I mean, she has her eye on a fresh, new, young, uh, potential smoke baby daddy. So, yeah, Well, I mean, obviously she did. Well, right. I, I, I would contend that, you know, uh, that's what she was trying to do by enticing Jon Snow. Exactly. Um, that's what I meant, yeah. But yeah, it, it is a weird explanation. I'm told men can manufacture new essence at a very fast rate, so <laughs> I don't know what is Maybe Stannis' refractory period is just very, very <laughs> It lengthy. is like months long. It is like a Game of Thrones winter 
length. Uh, anyway, so that's uh, the deal with the smoke. Maybe a lot of people wrote in that like the show does explain that that's why that's why Stannis can't just they, they've already explained Stannis can't just manufacture a new smoke, smoke baby and kill Roose Bolton. Uh, so yeah, I still think the rules are not. I would agree. I'd agree. They certainly haven't been like really well defined, but. Right. Uh, and the only other thing I wanted to mention is to give a shout out to all of the listeners that came out to see uh, the world premiere of my film, my directorial debut, The Primary Instinct, at the Seattle International Film Festival. Uh, a lot of people came out who were fans of Cast of Kings. Uh, we had one person wearing Cast of Kings t-shirt. Uh, so just wanted to say thanks for all the people that came out and really appreciated it. So anyway, let's get into this week's episode of the show. Uh a lot happened, but you know, at the same time that a lot happened, there weren't that many plot lines in this episode, right? There's only like what four or five plot lines, really. Uh, so let's let's start with. Uh, well, there actually weren't that many missing. It's just like Dorn actually yeah. hit everyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess. Come to think of it, well, you know, there's some people in certain and locations. Stannis, yeah, I there's guess. some locations. Uh, and also, like, we don't see what happens to Tommen, even though we did visit King's Landing this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's some locations you don't see everything that's going on. But anyway, we start with Marine, and this picks up right after the last episode left off, which is with uh, Tyrion presenting himself as the gift. Now, this must be absolutely thrilling for you, Joanna, because you can no longer use any of your smoke book powers. Like, this is just all net new material for you, correct? Let me tell you that the only stuff that's really book stuff in this, kind of Arya, but pretty much just Cersei. Mm. This was like 90% not book stuff. And right. It was so this must have, been an, it must have been exhilarating. Isn't it exhilarating, <sighs> so Joanna? It's really fun. Yeah. You guys had it right this whole time. Welcome to what our experience <laughs> has been for 99% of the show. <laughs> Actually, 100% pretty much. I don't know that anything that, you know, I don't know that there was any advanced knowledge whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, we're in the throne room. Yeah. And, uh, so not right where we left last. Week. You're right. Uh, it feels like moments afterwards because yes. they have, uh, they have the same clothes on. And, uh, Jorah has his classic, you know, yellow, uh, you know, chest open shirt. I wonder if that shirt was white when he first put it on, mm. like five years ago. <laughs> it reminds me of a story that my uh, colleague Stephen Tobolowsky once told me about Deadwood and how uh, was it David Milch? Yeah. Did he do Deadwood? And how uh-huh. like they they uh, he forced everyone not to like do laundry. Like he forced the costume set uh, designers like not to do laundry uh, for the entire season. <laughs> to sort of add to how authentic that show was. But anyway, uh, no idea how stinky Jorah's shirt is. What we do know about Jorah is that he has, again, thrown himself at the mercy of Daenerys, this time with a gift. And uh, essentially, Tyrion needs to talk his way out of getting executed by Danny, which he does right. a great job of. Yes. Uh, but then Danny asks for, like, as kind of a test, I feel, Danny says, well, what should I do with Jorah? Yeah. And Tyrion points out, hey, you can't just execute him. But at the same time, he's definitely betrayed your trust on multiple occasions. He could have uh, confessed to you that he was, you know, meant to betray you and so on. And so the compromise is exile him again. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what did you like? What did you think of this scene? You have no book comparison. You know, what? how did you think it played out? Whomever Sajora was when he started informing on you, he is no longer that man. 
can't remember ever seeing a sane man as devoted to anything as he is to serving you. He claims he would kill for you and die for you, and nothing I have witnessed gives me reason to doubt him. And yet he did betray you. Did he have an opportunity to confess his betrayal? Yes. Many opportunities. And did he? No. Not until forced to do so. He worships you. He is in love with you, I think. But he did not trust you with the truth. An unpleasant truth, to be sure, but one of great significance to you. Did not trust that you would be wise enough to forgive him. So I should kill him. A ruler who kills those devoted to her is not a ruler who inspires devotion. And you're going to need to inspire devotion, a lot of it, if you're ever going to rule across the narrow sea. But you cannot have him by your side when you do. Oh god, I loved it. There's so many great lines. Uh, when Well, it, it really made me think of all the times that you've expressed your frustration at the way that Daenerys chooses to rule. And basically everything that Tyrion says in the scene is gold. Like he says, a ruler who kills those devoted to her does not inspire devotion or killing in politics aren't always the same thing. Like all these things that Daenerys should basically have stitched on pillows around her like pyramid throne room. Yeah, uh, <laughs> going on, yep. To remind herself, um, I loved it, and and I really liked what what Tyrion said about Jorah. I mean, as much as of course, I'm Team Dora, Jorah should be forgiven for everything. Um, his answer was the wise answer, probably. So I think he, he passed the test with flying colors. Yeah, my favorite moment actually was the shot. You know, the the show does really great compositions. Um, yeah, I remember last week I, I meant to mention like all the Stannis stuff. Melisandre is out of focus, like in the background over his shoulder the whole time that he's talking to Davos. I wanted to mention that from last week. Ooh, like a little devil. Right. And it's kind of like framing that like even though she's not in focus, like she's always there kind of on his mind. And there was a fantastic shot this episode where she's made the decision to exile him and like Tyrion like turns around and looks at him with like a mix of – you know, pity and kind Sorry, of bro. admiration yeah. to, you know, that he even brought her, him here. And, uh, and then like Danny and Missandei are like, in the background out of focus. And I just love when the show has like a, you know, really nice composition like that, uh, that tells you a lot about what's actually going on. In that case, it's like the transition from like Tyrion, like this portion of Tyrion's life when, you know, Jorah and him are kind of bound together. And now he's moving on to like, the yeah, any portion of his life, whatever that may be. And Tyrion's in and Jorah's out. Um, Jorah's like, I used to be me. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then he has such a sad, like, Charlie Brown moment yeah. as he's, like, walking out. It, they took a really long time with his exit, and he looks at his grayscale, and he looks back up at the pyramid, and then, you know, he makes his decision to do what he does next, which is... Well, yeah. which is to go back to the fighting pit. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I like how they acknowledge that uh, he, he hit his quote-unquote master in the face uh and you know tip- typically that would come with massive punishments right um and Jorah was like just like flog me if you want to but you know i'm the best you've got so yeah. i don't understand quite what Jorah's plan here is 
What? Like, just, Wait, just, I'm just, I'm just, my mind is being blown by this moment that like you don't know what's actually <laughs> happening in the show. Uh, but no, yeah. I mean I understand. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, is you it, don't know, you know, with a hundred percent finality, the final details of the outcome here, right? No, I mean, I his plan is to like, I'll just get in front of her. Like, I'm just saying it's a stupid plan. I understand what his plan is. I just, I'm like, really? She exiled you again, brah, and you're going to go back? And I guess maybe he's thinking, he's looking at the grayscale. He's like, I'm dying anyway. Might as well go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah, die in her service. Yeah, he doesn't have a plan. Like, his, what, what possible keep, plan like could bu- you have? Right. It's like a bug that keeps flinging itself at a bug zapper. I'm just like, Jora, buddy. Yeah. Find find some new queen. I don't yeah, know. Well, the th- he's almost dead though, probably, right? Well, no, it's just he he's got just the mildest case of grayscale so far. So Oh, yeah. Well, I guess um is is having grayscale does that mean certain death? Typically, right? Doesn't it? Or uh, it's is there left poss- untreated. You know, like Shireen had to have every maester, you know, from all points of the globe come and like try every poultice and everything to get it to stop on her. And she's far more, you know, disfigured than, than Jora is. Jora just has early, early onset. Early onset. Yeah. <laughs> Grayscale. Uh, so uh, what you're saying is Jora could theoretically still survive if he sought mm-hmm. treatment. But instead, he's going back into the fighting pits. Well, but it's not its not like you can get the treatment at your corner, you know, Mr. Pharmacy <laughs> right. or something right. that, like, you need power and influence in order to cure this, I would say. Right. Um, Maybe that's what he's trying to obtain, right? By No, I, I don't think his hope is, like, if I impress her enough, she'll help me cure my grayscale. I think he's just, like, whatever I can do to continue to be in her company. I just, like, I mean... I think people before have felt a sort of stalkery vibe off of Jorah, and that was never my sense of of TV show Jorah. I always just thought he was really devoted. Book Jorah is a different story, but TV show Jorah I always quite liked. But this, you know, like she exiled you twice. She exiles yeah. him twice. He's in a, you know, uh, brothel with Danny lookalikes, you know. Is he but just... he, wasn't, he wasn't sampling the wares. You don't know that. He was only... <laughs> All right. It's how what what else is he doing? Just drinking, I guess, and looking at them. I don't know. Anyway, he seemed like like bummed that there were prostitutes dressed like Danny. Like that, that was blasphemy almost. Mm. That was my take on that scene. Or anyway. that was a postcoital scene, uh, and he was felt really guilty about stop stop smearing the good name of Jorah Mormont. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. All right, so then Tyrion and Danny have a great scene uh, where like. They're kind of verbally sparring. And as I was watching this scene, I just felt so uh, excited that, like, these two plot lines that have, like, for years we've wanted, like, major plot lines like this to converge. Uh, and it's finally happening. You know? I had this weird, unusual feeling. It was, like, um, interest in a Daenerys scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been a while. It's been a while, man. So I, I, I do happy. remember, like, I don't remember if I brought it up on the show, but someone telling me how they thought the Daenerys storyline was completely useless and how you know that that's somehow going to intersect with another plotline because otherwise there, there would be no reason for them to show that whole – the whole – everything she's doing, right? She's all off far away in this tiny corner of the world. Like, what, none of that is of interest to anyone except insofar as it might relate to another character that we care about. 
Uh, I think that's going a bit harsh on on the Danny storyline, but yeah, it, it is really exciting that uh, they are finally crossing paths. So I liked season one Danny a lot, and then I just feel like it's been a struggle. So, you know, she she has these highlights, she has these like dragon roasting moments that are spectacular, but when it comes to sort of you know dialogue heavy scenes, and that's not a slight of Amelia Clark, I just don't think that. Those have really worked for me in terms of, of Daenerys, but Daenerys and Tyrion talking about their evil fathers and her plans to go back to Westeros, which is something that she hasn't talked about in a while. Like she's been talking about staying in Marine for so long. So to hear her talk again about wanting to go to Westeros was, was pretty interesting, I thought. Uh, yeah, for sure. And just kind of what her long-term plan is this entire yeah. time. So Yeah. Any other thoughts on this scene? Any other things we want to highlight? She has a great line about breaking the wheel. Right. Whatever that means. I, I feel like it's a lot of rhetoric, Joanna. <laughs> I don't really <laughs> know so what Danny, that means. That's so Danny, though. Come on. She uh, speaks, she speaks in, in these grand um, sort of war chants. Um, <laughs> I will see – and this is not – you know, this is not from the book, so I'm not, you know, really flavoring this with book knowledge. But um, sh- Tyrion mentions all the, ha- the major houses that wouldn't back her, and he didn't mention the Martells. He mentioned, he's like the Lannisters wouldn't, the Starks are, you know, wouldn't, there are no more Targaryens, the Tyrells wouldn't. No, no, no. He says the Tyrells might, but there wouldn't might. be enough. Right. Yeah. And then he, he does not mention Dorne or the Martells at all. And she's distantly related to Ilya Martell. Ilya Martell was her sister-in-law, basically. So, you know, it just, it, I thought that was a conspicuous. It was a curious omission. Absence, yes. Mm. Uh, how is she related to Ilya Martell as sister-in-law? Ilya Martell was married to her brother, Rhaegar. I see. Gotcha. Interesting. All right. Um, well, that's all that happened to Marine pretty much this week, right? Any uh, any other thoughts? I, I mean, it's just great to see that they, there's clearly like a mutual respect there. Uh, and the Tyrion dialogue was excellent, I thought. Like the right combination of cocky, but also, hey, I could this per- person could execute me. I still need to convince them that I'm worth, you know. Yeah, calculating with not being too calculating, I thought. Yeah. You know, and, and he made all the points that we've been making, which is like we loved Tyrion as the hand of the king when – and it was Joffrey. Imagine him as hand of a ruler that he actually like believes in and likes. Right. You know? Right. Um, I know a lot of like really rabid book readers um, – I'm not even talking about anyone who listens to the show. I'm just, there is like actually a sect. I think they're called like the angry book readers or something like that. They call themselves that. Uh, they hated this scene. Uh, <laughs> and I just think they're crazy. Wow. Uh, I, you know, I think they didn't You're like. You're saying people who are really into reading Game of Thrones can be no, unreasonable at times? Uh, uh, <laughs> um, I'm saying that they didn't think Daenerys would take him into her service so readily. But I do think the show did a good job job of setting up, you know, she was relying pretty heavily on Jorah and then Barristan and they're gone and she's got like, yeah, she's got her like bedtime counsel from Dario, but, you know, or Masende being like. She's relying on Masende for advice. You know, or like like Masende being like. Whatever you think you should do is like basically when you reach, Okay, look, no, nothing against Miss Sunday, who's a great character and actor who portrays her. But, you know, like when you're relying on your translator for advice, like you have reached a point that you probably could use better advice. 
Right. You need a, you know, and, and Tyrion leaned on the good point. I mean, this is basically must have been why they killed Barristan in the show because he's still alive in the book. So they, they must have killed Barristan so that Tyrion could say, listen, no one's going to tell you about Westeros. No one here knows anything about Westeros. Uh, Barristan, super dead. He could have helped you, but he's gone. I'm your best shot. Mm, mm, so. Fascinating. All right. Cool. So we get a, a couple scenes in Winterfell this episode. Uh, Theon and Sansa have a confrontation uh, where Sansa basically asks him, well, why did you do that? And, you know, expresses her, let's just say, anger and disappointment at him for uh, killing her brothers. Uh, which, by the way, is the most concern that anyone on the planet has expressed for Brandon Rickman <laughs> this entire season. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Unlike the show watchers, Sansa actually wants to know where Bran and Rickett are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that is interesting how, like, the show, I don't feel, I feel like the show rarely uh, will show us a cliffhanger and then not address it for an entire season. Right? I think uh, the only time that it might have done that for a character that it doesn't intend on returning is uh, someone like Gendry. I, I don't know if we'll ever see Gendry again. Right, but I would wager some cash that we'll see Brandon Ricken again. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, whether or not you know, I don't know what your book knowledge tells you, but I, I would just no, say, no, no. We're definitely going to see Brandon Ricken again. Of course we are, right? Right. I, I, um, it would be weird if we didn't. Let's put it that way. And I think they're going to. In fact, I suspect they're going to recast Ricken for next season mm-hmm. if he's in next season. Mm-hmm. Right, they're going to do what they did with the the Baratheon kids and recast him. Um, but do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's very rare that there will be a, pl- a main plot line that just vanishes for an entire season. Like right. Yara Greyjoy, we have not seen. Oh all- yeah, that was another thing that I went, meant to bring yeah. up. Right? Yeah. What happened to Yara? When was the last we saw of her? End of last season, I feel like. Right. Yeah, I don't know which episode that was that she got chased out of the Dreadfort by dogs. And she was like, back in the boats. Uh, that was the last we saw her. But like the last we saw her, her face looked pretty determined. Like, I will come back and get my brother uh, sometime next year. Right. Basically. So, And we still haven't heard from her. I wonder if the show is setting her up for a season finale return. Anyway, we'll see. But uh, in any case, Theon and Sansa have a, have a nice moment here. And I love how it's framed. It's just like almost completely silhouette. And... When I you, love that Sophie Turner is like a foot taller than he is. Yeah. <laughs> and when you do silhouette, right, all that you see is just kind of these two characters and you can barely make out like the emotion on their faces. And essentially like when you're uh, in photography, at least when I'm doing foot photography and I do black and white, it's because I want to like eliminate all other distractions, right? Like right. you don't want any of the colors or, you know, why is that like, why is that neon green? You know, why is that dark red, and you just want people to see the composition and specific elements. And I feel like the way they framed it and the way they colored it, color graded it with just these two faces and uh, and the raw emotion that's kind of going between them, I, I really enjoyed. Um, and again, Alfie Allen as Theon doing a fantastic job in a post-traumatic you know, situation where he's just trying to uh, obey Ramsay's orders and you know, fears for him at all times. Uh, Sophie, and he, yeah, and Sophie Turner too. Absolutely. Um, great performances in this scene. What do I want to say about that? Oh, I do want to address actually the silhouette thing because I've actually had a lot – it was just a couple people at first, but actually I've had a lot of people in recent weeks complain about the lighting on the show. 
I feel like the lighting is especially dark in the show. And I don't know if it's because so much is taking place at Winterfell, which is a very poorly lit locale. Or, you know, I mean, everything's intentional in Game of Thrones, right? They've got a gajillion dollar budget. They know what they're doing. Um, they're consummate professionals. So this is obviously a choice. But I will say that when I am posting Game of Thrones images online, every single time I pop it into Photoshop and bump up the lighting mm. so that people can actually see what's going on. Not for like a artistically silhouette frame like this, but a lot of other shots you right. just cannot see what's going on sometimes. So It's interesting you say that because something that I observe is whenever there is a window in the show, like earlier on in this episode with Tyrion and Danny, they are always blasting light through that window, right? Yeah. Whether it's uh, in the case of Marine, it's usually uh, warm golden light, or in the case of uh, the wall, it's like dark and, and blue. Uh, but yeah, I, I have no issues. I, I can understand why overall the show might be pretty dark uh, from a lighting palette perspective, but I, I don't really have any issues. I, I feel like it's very intentional. So uh, Yeah, well, no, I, I think that there are some locations like Marine. King's Landing most of the time, except now we're in the, you know, the dungeons, right. uh, or Dorne, except we're in the dungeons, you know, like there's, if stuff's taking place in a dungeon or Winterfell <laughs> or the wall, you know, like those places are going to be dark. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, and, and that's a, a significant chunk of the show takes place this season. Places, so. yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, anything else you want to point out about, uh, this scene with Theon and Sansa? It, it's, uh, we should also point out that Theon, Reveals that he did not actually kill Brandon Ricken. Yeah, which so I now kind of a breakthrough. Yeah, within the span of two episodes, Sansa knows that John is at the Wall and Brandon Ricken are still alive. Right. So she's got a big chunk of her family back in um, her mind, at least. Yeah, in her mind. And it was a little weird hearing her talk about Brandon Ricken uh, <laughs> because she's like never talked about Brandon Ricken. So she was like, they were your brothers. You knew them since they were babies. I was like, Sansa, I've like literally never heard you talk about Brandon Ricken. <laughs> but okay. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, to be fair, Joanna, she was concerned with other matters throughout the last few years. Uh, but yeah, but I've heard her like sort of talk about her mom and her dad. Mm. Um, Fair enough. You know. Anyway, I'm, so th- I'm, I'm, I know she cares about her brothers. Yeah. Great scene. Loved it. Loved how even though uh, she, the, you know, even though Theon gave the game away with regards to the candle, that she now has hope, uh, and that maybe she's even breaking through to Theon a little bit. Uh, even though at the end he does correct her and say, oh, "My name is Reek." Uh, that she, the fact that she was able to get him to acknowledge what actually happened in reality uh, was a big step. So, and not to beat like a dead white walker horse about this, but I will just say quickly before we move on that I still don't think we needed that to get us here. But here is great stuff. So like that it. meaning the uh, events of a few episodes ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, then we have a very brief scene with Roose Bolton. And he is planning what to do against Stannis. And he, he basically lays out how dire the situation is for Stannis. I mean, the way Roos tells it, Stannis is totally screwed. There's no way that Stannis is going to win this battle, right? Uh, and Ramsay says, hey, let's teach these guys a lesson. On, on top of the fact that these guys are already in, in, bad, in a bad way, let's teach them a lesson too. Just give me 20 men. I'm going to go and like mess them up in a really horrifying deployable fashion I'm sure. <laughs> that's that's uh ramsey's life philosophy he like never met a wound he didn't want to rub salt into so yeah you mentioned here that 
Ramsey mentions a title of one of the books, right? Yeah, yeah. He says, you know, let's leave nothing but a feast for the crows, which is the third book, fourth book title. Um, And I I wrote about this last night, and I know that Cersei says Game of Thrones famously in season one. Yes. Um, I... They might have worked a Clash of Kings at some point into I the show. I, I think we would have remembered that. But they definitely have never never said a Storm of Swords. Uh, so this is fun. Feast for Crows. And then next week's episode is actually titled The Dance of Dragons, which is close to um, the book title. So so yeah. is uh, do they mention – like do the titles come up in dialogue in the books? I don't know. Hmm, all right. I mean, Game of Thrones certainly. I think that Game of Thrones line is certainly in the books, but um, you know, I'm not sure about the other ones. All right. So, any other thoughts on this uh, Winterfell scene? Very just two scenes, and basically we're out. Um, no. I'm interested to see what Ramsey does. Then we go to the wall, uh, where I, you know, here, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm the biggest, I'm the biggest Ollie fan you could find, probably. But I, I thought the scene was almost completely useless i mean uh-huh. it's just it's uh-huh. uh, there's nothing new that this scene tells us that last episode uh, didn't tell us right i kind of disagree but okay t- well t- i think the one thing is that ollie still seems to be really upset at john's yeah. decision and he is uh not at all satisfied by either john or sam's uh, explanation. Right? Yeah, I think that's the what we can draw from this scene is that Sam sort of unintentionally, I think, sort of stoked Ollie's anger rather than right. You because, know, well, in what ways do you feel like he stoked his anger? Um. Well, I don't know. Just the advice that Sam gave, uh, I think, you know, firmed Ollie's resolve that he is right in in his convictions. You know, rather, I think Sam was trying to say, like, you know, what John is doing, uh, you know, John's decisions that he's making or his stance that he's taking is hard, but sometimes you have to take the hard stance that, you know, is right. And Ollie extrapolated that and decided to apply it to his own approach and be like, yeah, I am right to be angry about this. You know, that was sort of my takeaway from this scene. Yeah. And Sam says to him, oh, don't worry. John's going to be okay," And clearly misreading the situation. (laughs) <laughs> that Ollie doesn't give a crap about whether John's okay, right? He just cares about whether or not they're going to actually ally themselves with people that mercilessly slaughtered his family. Yeah. So I mean, and he does make uh, as much as I hate Ollie and hate to give him like any points whatsoever. Um, wow, this is really. <laughs> I mean, I'm just surprised at the amount of hate that is going. We'll talk about this later in the episode, but I just think he's a dumb narrative pl- uh, device. But anyway, as as much as I don't enjoy and that's nothing against someone asked me if i hate the like the kid like the actor who plays him no no i don't I just don't like the character and and how they're using him but um he does have a good point about torment he's like well, but actually like yeah i get that there are good wildlings and bad wildlings i could i could maybe follow you down that path but torment <laughs> with his signature red beard led the attack on my goddamn village right so this specific one this specific wildling i have beef with mm. so yeah so the show is sowing these seeds of Ollie dissension, and uh, I have a feeling when they bloom, it's going to mean bad news for our friends at the wall. We'll see. Uh, anything else about what's going on at the wall? No. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, all right, so... Ghost is presumably hanging out there. He would have been helpful. 
I think, at Hard Home, but that's fine. <laughs> what he's, if? Just, he's just hanging out the wall. It's fine. Then we go to King's Landing, and uh, we're back in the Sept, and we see apparently Cersei's clothing has been replaced with uh, the burlap sack that is standard issue there, apparently. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, how many days do you feel like Cersei has been there? Is my I don't question. know. She looks pretty grubby in her hair. That is, like, overnight, you do not decline that much. No, no, no. I think she's supposed to have been there. It's got to be at know, least a week. And gotta- Kevin had to come from uh, Casterly Rock back. So I would, I would even say, like, maybe two weeks, possibly. It is great to see that Cersei is reaping what she sows in multiple ways, right? With the... What's his name? Uh, High Sparrow, as well as with the Kevin situation. Yeah. Um, she could have treated Kevin a little better. Now he's back. Right. Um, and, and her only friend in the world is Maester Kyburn, who's the <laughs> one that shows up. That was a creepy friend to have. Yeah. I love Kyburn, though, because, you know, she's like, what are the charges? And he reads them out, um, which I wrote them down there. Fornication, treason, incest, and basically regicide. And she's like, all lies. He's like, of course. Like, uh, you know... <laughs> He, he knows they're not perfect, lies. He is but the he's perfect just, yes man. But he's just like, uh, of course, yeah. Of he's course. like the maester version of <laughs> Littlefinger, basically. He can adapt to whatever truth is necessary for the situation. Um, well, he seems to have like, cast his uh, chips in with, with Cersei because, you know, if he were Littlefinger at this point, I think he would have abandoned her, right? Mm. Um Pycelle is the one who called Kevin back. So, yeah, that's another sort of chicken coming home to roost. Uh, Cersei didn't right. treat Pycelle very well. so Yeah, I mean, it's, it, here's, here's what's brilliant about Game of Thrones. This is a show that can make you root for a character's comeuppance for five years. Right. And then make you feel guilty when it actually arrives. Was this it is, when she was lapping water off the prison floor? Yeah. Is that, and then is that you, when you, you felt bad? You just kind of feel bad for her. Yeah. You know? like you, mm-hmm. you, no one can watch that happen and not feel bad for that person. Uh, but then, Yeah, because there's a difference between like watching Joffrey choke and die. Like That, that was sort of like a very quick ecstasy of finally, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Whereas to see the long suffering of Cersei, the degradation of Cer- Cersei is is a different feeling. It's an uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, and then, what does Maester Kyburn say to her? He says something along the lines of "There is a way," right? Yeah. Uh, and she says, "I'm not going to confess." But is that really what Maester Kyburn was referring to, Joanna? I don't think so. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think they left it ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that she was picking up on the wrong, uh, the wrong cues there, and perhaps he was talking about his now very long running quest to revive the mountain, <laughs> the Franken Mountain. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked that the sort of decomposition hasn't hit in a big way yet. So, <laughs> I bet if, even if because it, it has been like months now, right? It has been yeah. months since uh, the Oberyn murder. Even if Kyburn's like uh, lab reeks to high heaven like kyburn would never let on he would just like keep that same expression on his face be like "Mm, yeah smells like death and decay in here um actually i think the mountain smelled disgusting when they first brought him there like cersei and pycelle were both having a lot of trouble because the um the poisons that oberon used on him were putrefying i think and Mm -hmm. so like you know he he was he was not smelling great when he got there. Now imagine 
The timeline of the show is a good question, actually. I do want to press pause quickly and address this because Marcella said last week that she had been in Dorne for years. Um, Since Oberyn? Like Oberyn had died, you mean? No, Marcella said, you know, basically my mom sent me here years ago. I've been here for years. I see, yep. Right? So, but on the other hand, Gilly's baby hasn't really grown much. So I think they're being just a little inconsistent with right. the time frame, which is fine. Whatever. There's a lot to track. Yeah. That's that's funny. The baby is going to be the way that we tell how much time has elapsed on the show. <laughs> I guess that's probably one of the better ways to tell, right? That baby does not look two weeks older since Cersei got thrown into the cells. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on this, uh, in this King's Landing scene? I don't think so. All right. Uh, well, I like that Septa a lot. That woman is, you know, like oh, brand yeah. size. She's she's great. Okay, so that was another mistake I made about how when Cersei says, "Hey, my face is the last thing you'll see before you die," and I said yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Of course, it makes sense. Cersei's implying that she's going to get out of jail and then murder that woman. Yes, uh, I indicated that last week. It didn't make any sense. Um, you have to understand. At that point, I had been podcasting for three and a half hours. <laughs> It was 10.30 p.m. I was very <laughs> tired, and so I made some mistakes. So thank you for correcting me about that. I uh, just wanted to point that out as well. One last thing uh, before we get to the main event, Joanna, and that is uh, we see some more stuff at Bravos this week. The, the Bravos storyline is slowly, agonizingly start to come together. And essentially, Arya become like to, to summarize this, the story, Arya becomes another person and then uses poison to assassinate a dude that's screwed another dude out of money that is owed to him. Is that- well, not just another dude. It seems like this is uh, something he's been doing to the people of Bravos for a long time. This is his racket, right? Mm-hmm. And well, one of the, the the person, one of the people that was a victim, kind of came and begged for. Uh, it would seem like yeah, she looked at the kneeling man who was sobbing. And it would um, the dots that a logical person would connect is that it's the same guy. Um, so yes, I have to say the scene was a bit confusingly edited for my taste, just because when he was she was describing her backstory and then they cut to yeah her in the market. I thought this was an imagined right. situation, uh, not that it was actually happening. So, uh, but I guess. That's probably the best way to tell that story. I, I can't imagine them going through the backstory and then her. Then showing her actually being, you know, it wouldn't have as much tension, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but I just thought it was a little confusing. Anyway, any other thoughts on this scene uh, at Bravos? Uh, yeah, a couple things. We had a listener point out that the prostitute, she mentions that she like um, encounters a prostitute every morning. And it's the same, pro- like he gave me, he sent me a screen cap. It's the same prostitute we saw with Salador Sen and um, like in the baths in Bravos last season. Um, so either that's just like them trying to be consistent with their backstory or I don't know if she's going to be important or whatever, but they, they recycled a prostitute from last season in this episode. Um, also for book readers, there was a fun little Easter egg because Arya calls herself Lana in this, um, scenario, but in the books she calls herself Cat. Cat of the Canals is sort of like her name. Um, and I don't know if the show did this because they didn't want to confuse her with Catelyn or whatever, but... In the show, she says the word canals and then a cat like runs across her path. So I felt like that was a little like mm. shout out to, to book readers. Is this, uh, is this what the explanation for last week's promo code was? 
Yes. <laughs> Cat of the canals. <laughs> the, exactly the code right. that shall never be used. Yeah. Uh, in the correct way. But uh, all right, that's a good canals. that's a good uh, good callback. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I like that this storyline is starting to come together a little bit, but there's still. I guess I just feel like the Arya storyline has really been spinning its wheels for quite a long time. I mean, we've been wanting this person to, you know, own her own badassery for years now. And she's done. She's had moments of that. Uh, and I guess I'm just wondering, like, how much longer is this going to take? That's kind of my feeling towards it. What are your thoughts? Do you feel uh, like it's advancing at a really great clip? No, not a great clip at all, but a little more concise in the book. So I'm pleased. Uh, I'm curious what they're doing with the waif. Like, the waif seems to be set up as, like, her... The naysayer, right? She's like, she's not ready. And Deccan's like, it doesn't matter. So I don't know if they're setting her up as like a, a nemesis or something like that. But uh, I think it'll come to a head within the next, you know, two episodes. I Let's think we'll see so. some payoff. So, yeah. Let's hope so. Well, speaking of not being ready, Joanna, a lot of people aren't ready to make their own websites. <laughs> Did you know this? <laughs> There's just the the skill required is massive and the thing is it really would help to have a service that would do a lot of the hard work for you enter squarespace.com promo code cast of kings with squarespace.com you can build a website that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level with no coding required it has intuitive and easy to use tools and it starts at just $8 a month you get a free domain if you sign up for a year uh, Jenna, have you ever tried to build a website before? Oh my gosh, I have. And how'd it go? Uh, as the waif would say, I was not ready. <laughs> Jack, Jack and Hagar would have wrapped my knuckles with a stick. As Jack and Hagar might say, a woman must know how to use the right tools. <laughs> he might, he might. He, he might say that. A woman must know how to use squarespace.com, promo code Castle Kings. Uh, super easy to use. Uh, and yeah, it, it just is... Uh, it lets you create something that looks professional and beautiful in no time at all. Uh, so we would really encourage listeners to the show, if you are looking for something that will help you uh, build something amazing, if you want, whatever you want to build, e-commerce site, you want to build a blog, you want to build a site for podcasting, squarespace.com promo code cast of kings is the way to go. Joanna, you know what I hate a lot? When you go to websites and it looks great on the web, but it looks terrible uh, on a phone. Isn't that the know, most annoying thing? Do you know who has that problem? Tell it's me. The Game of Thrones wiki uh, looks awful on my phone as I consult it feverishly throughout episodes. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is fact. You, you might ask, well, I, I want to avoid that fate. I'm building a website myself. I, I can't have a site that looks like ass on a phone because a lot of people are using phones these days. I don't know if you noticed this, Joanna. What? But a significant percentage of people use mobile devices to access the web. Oh, my um, God. Well, fortunately, Squarespace has got you covered. They have responsive design. So it looks great no matter what device you're using. You're on your uh, tablet. You're on your computer. You're on your phone. Even if you're on your TV, not sure why you browse the web on a TV. But some people do. They, they do that. That's some people's thing apparently. Anyway, squarespace.com. Promo code Cast of Kings, that's what you need to uh, build a great website. So, also, just want to point out one last thing. Uh, you can start a free trial today with no credit card required. So, let's say uh, a lot of this has piqued your interest. You, you're, you're as uh, piqued as uh, Danny is by Tyrion's appearance. <laughs> you're like, hmm, nice. I'm a little curious what's going on here. Let's invest, let's see where this is going. 
Well, you don't even need to take out your credit card. Just go to squarespace.com. You can start a free trial today. So Cast of Kings gets you 10% off. And if you support Squarespace, you're supporting us here on the podcast. Speaking of people who support us, uh, we got to thank all the people that contributed to our Kickstarter as well. Joanna Robinson, who contributed to us uh, that we want to thank this week? Um, I want to thank Dylan Shuck, um, Oscar Roena, Andy Chang and E. Chang, um, Ellie Balser, Sarah Epperson, Derek Dockendorf, Christopher Turner, Brett Bolton, no relation, Jim Tindaro, Dan Cleland, Daniel Wood. Oh. I like how they. I like how Daniel Wood provided a pronunciation. I know. And now I'm reading it. I'm like, did I nail it? I think I did. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mary Morrude, Sebastian Brook, I believe. Uh, Eamon Kenny and Deirdre Walsh, Scott Martinez. All right. Thank you guys. Thanks also to Cindy Payo, Jen Ingrie from Brisbane, Australia, or Ingrie, I should say, Peter Graham. Jeffrey Nagel, Sue Heck, Jeremy Fogelman, Robert Barlow, Travis Thompson, Joe Thompson, Tim and Nancy Sexton, Jamil Payne, Fernando Borrego, George Christian Gebelein. Gebelein. Oh, that's so sad. He said, just don't say goblin. Yeah. Well, I guess I just said it, but anyway. That didn't even enter my mind. But no. I George know. Christian Gebelein. Uh, security Nerdette and Eric Wilson in Seattle. Thank you guys for your contributions. You help make a cast of Kings possible. Thanks also to Squarespace uh, for being one of our two sponsors this whole season. I uh, really appreciate their support as well. So, Joanna, we come to it at last. Uh, a incredible, not even set piece, a series of incredible set pieces Yeah, uh, that just hit you. And my understanding, according to the uh, after show from uh, Game of Thrones is that Hardhome was not a major plot point in the books, or at least right. It wasn't. So, like another ranger goes off to sort of try to handle it, and you never spend any time there. It's sort of like an off-screen thing that happens, and not on the scale at all, even close. It's just so basically, it's where like a bunch of the wildlings have gathered since Mance was was uh, defeated uh, to sort of regroup. And there's a woman who's like, let's go to let's go to hard home and sort of regroup there. So uh, and then, you know, they're. But my understanding is we, you know, something bad happens there, but it's never really fully described. The, there are rumors that there are like whites, uh, W-I-G-H-T-S, uh, in, in the sort of the forest around. But it's not like there's a slaughter at hard home. Mm. Like it's not quite. So the so there you did not see any of this coming then. Right. Uh, not from a book perspective from right. like I can't help myself when it comes to certain spoilers perspective yes <laughs> oh you mean you read some sites that you shouldn't have read or well not shouldn't have I mean I just I <laughs> I like reading about what's coming um and the making of uh, Game of Thrones feature that you I didn't see. watch, The Day in the Life, had a lot of hard home stuff. In it. I that's, see. Gotcha. That's where they talked about that they were there for like three to four weeks, you know, and they showed some fighting footage and stuff like that. So I knew that there was going to be a big battle at hard home. That was going to be the big battle this season. Yeah. So let's just start right off by saying this is one of the most incredible episodes from a pure ambition execution standpoint. Uh, in in the entire series, so, some people say this is the best episode that they've ever seen. This might be my favorite episode of Game of Thrones. Wow, 
Yeah. That's hardcore. And I'm so excited to say that, really. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> One of uh, a, col- a colleague of mine that I follow on Facebook, uh, he had said that Game of Thrones was starting to become like homework in high school in the sense that you know you need to do it on Sunday night, but you're not looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, and for a lot of people, it had become something like that. And leave it to Game of Thrones to completely win the audience back with an incredibly insane battle sequence. I mean, every episode is sort of a mixed bag for me. Um, but I, w- I did have this argument with, with my boyfriend the other day about how I felt like the show was in, in decline and how sad that made me. Right. And then like, as soon as the episode was over, he's like, so <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. this episode just silenced any criticism that, uh, it, the, the, the show can't still be on the cutting edge of what you see on television. Uh, so incredible sequence. And also I love how it snuck up on you because if up until this point, they're cutting between different plot lines, right? right? And so, you know, my perception is, oh, this, this plot line could just end in 10 minutes and then we're going to be with Stannis or something like that. Right. Uh, but nope, they just stay with it. And the more, the more an episode stays with a specific plot line for longer than it's allotted time frame, uh, the more, uh, un- sometimes the more unsettling it feels. And for me, I definitely felt that this episode, like, oh, wow, this, they're really staying with this because they have so much to show and a lot of it is not good. Yeah. So let's start with, uh, you know, John and Tormund meeting, what's his name, the King of Bones or whatever his name is? Right, Rattleshirt. Is that, uh, don't they call him something about Bones? Lord of Bones. Lord of Bones in the show? Yeah. So we saw him earlier in the show, did we not? Wasn't he right, like the last time we two? saw him was season three, episode one. Right, uh, and we just saw and him And he was briefly. in season two as well. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we knew he was a badass, right? Yeah. That was kind of... Uh, well, the man wears, you know, bones on himself. So, yes. <laughs> well, he could have just used those things to compensate for how not badass he was. But presumably he's a badass. True. And uh, he is not receptive to Tormund and John's plan, right? And so Tormund just basically kills him on the spot, which is pretty badass. Uh, and then they go and, and meet with, I guess, uh, a council of sorts. Yeah, like he says, gather the elders or something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then there's a meeting. Well, at- oh, I do. I oh. do want to talk really quickly about the whole rattle shirt thing. So I, I want to address something, which is that um, when Mansprater, I, I don't know, I don't remember if I talked about this in in on the podcast, but when Mansprater dies in the books, um, he actually like gets. Like Melisandre actually swaps his body with Rattleshirt because Rattleshirt is there. So actually Mance is in Rattleshirt's body and you don't find that out until later and it's a whole thing. And I was really convinced that when they burned um, Mance on the show that they weren't going to do that plot. That they weren't going to swap his body. That this is just going to be another Game of Thrones plot. That they just were like, no, we're not doing this. Um, and a lot of people still believed and hung on to that belief. And I believe Tormund bludgeoning Rattleshirt to death in the opening of this. A, a lot of still, people still believed what exactly, Joanna? Oh, that Mance Raider was somehow in someone else's body. I see. Which I just don't think the show is going to do something like that. It kind of works in the books, but I just don't think that the show is going to be like, surprise. You know, 
Does yeah. that make any sense? It just yep. didn't seem like a show thing for me, but a lot of people were angry that I had talked about it because they thought I had ruined a surprise that was still coming. But I really like with Tor- with Tormund bludgeoning Rattleshirt to death, Tormund showing no signs of actually being Mance Raider himself. I believe that we can just bury Mance Raider once and for all. So mm, interesting. Uh, yeah, I I totally didn't know any of that stuff, yeah. so it didn't it didn't even occur to me. Uh, but yeah, the, I do think that it it is interesting, like how how the show plays with the supernatural and what level it feels it can go to. You know, what what is the limit of supernatural stuff? And right. by and large, it's not been that supernatural. There are dragons. Uh, Melisandre does a few tricks, right, and she survives the poison or whatever a few seasons ago, and. Uh, you know, did some other crazy stuff. Uh, but beyond that, the show has kind of not really relied too much on the supernatural. And I, I feel like that's to the show's credit. It really helps ground it, quote unquote. Um, so, yeah. So then they go and meet I the think, el- yeah, I just think like picking and choosing is important. Yes. Yes. So they meet the elders and uh, <laughs> there is some great stuff here. Uh, this moment when they bring up Manson, how he died. And it's just like completely awkward. And John, by the way, John's not doing himself any favors by describing how he died, right? It was really weird. It was I was like, John, buddy, come on. <laughs> He's like, I shot him through the heart with the arrow. Have you ever heard like, of tact? Tormund's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, let's not go too hard on yourself, John. <laughs> He's like, it went like this, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess they needed John to be that stupid about it so that Tormund could kind of come to the rescue to show their solidarity, perhaps. Maybe. Sure. Um my name's Jon Snow. I'm Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. We're not friends. We've never been friends. We won't become friends today. This isn't about friendship. This is about survival. This is about putting a 700-foot wall between you and what's out there. You built that wall to keep us out. Since when do the crows give two shits if we live? In normal times, we wouldn't. But these aren't normal times. The White Walkers don't care if a man's free folk or crow. We're all the same to them. Meat for their army. But together, we can beat them. Beat the White Walkers. Good luck with that. Run from them, maybe. So John convinces them that, hey, he convinces some of them, the non-Fens, that they need to go, Right. And there's a there's a, a giant in the background who's apparently yeah. a major character in the book, from what I hear, right? Not major, but yeah, his name is is well, he's called One One. Yeah, and he has a longer name. But I didn't yeah. really understand anything that he was tr- like conveying in the scene. I have to admit, was he pissed? Right? Was because he, he, he his face look, looks naturally unhappy. I didn't really <laughs> understand what was going on there. Do you do you can you help me out here? It was a show trying to convey something about what One One was thinking. Think so? I mean, I just think that he was like he said the word torment as in like I'm with you, torment. Oh, okay. You know that was you know because because uh, Carsey the the wildling chief and chieftainess was like I don't trust you, Jon Snow, but I trust you, torment. You know, and and then another wildling elder says, Yeah, I'm with torment, and then the giant just goes torment, which basically in giant I guess means I'm with you, torment. I, I, so. I thought I, I thought that was ambiguous. I, I thought to myself, Oh wow, is he? He's saying it in kind of a pissed off way. Is he pissed at Torment? I don't know. I didn't know. So, but your interpretation certainly makes sense. Uh, and also, I think we found out last season with Mance that 
there were very few giants left in the world, right? Because one of the giants died uh, during the assault on uh, Castle Black. I think more than one, maybe all. Like the one who ran down the hallway died, right? And his friend died before he got into that. Like he was so angry that his friend had died. That's how he got into the hallway, mm-hmm. right? The tunnel. So uh, you know, I think I think two giants died at least at the battle the wall. Uh, yeah, the giants are rare. I don't think we're meant to think that one one is like the only giant uh, north of the wall, but but they're certainly very very rare. Gotcha. Yeah. Anything else we want to say about this scene where John's trying to convince people to go with him? Um, I mean, I I loved um, Birgit Hjort Sorensen throughout this whole thing. I think she's like the real star of this episode. Actually, I think she had a really really um, hard job to do, which is okay. So we know Tormund and we know Jon Snow and we know Ed, Jon's friend, as they land. And then we've got just this mass of people that we don't know. I mean, we know Rattleshirt and we can recognize it then and we can certainly recognize a giant, but they're not humans to us in any way, right? And so I really feel like Birgit's character, who's named uh, Carsey, I feel like she carried the brunt of trying to put a human face on this wildling sort of struggle. Um, and, and, uh, you know, the script certainly helped her by making her a mother and, and making that a whole part of her. Uh, but it was only one part of her. And I just, I, I thought she was magnificent. Like, uh, Oberyn only had, you know, eight, eight episodes, nine episodes to get us to care about him. She had like 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I she, think she nailed it. She was incredible. Uh, and, Gave us so much in that 20 minutes. Makes you care about that character and what her fate is in in a way that – this is a textbook example of having a character come out of nowhere in the show and uh, really make – the audience care about her fate and what happens to her. It's, it's, it's incredible. So yeah. And it makes me, I mean, I don't want to go negative because I really do feel like this episode is so good. So I don't want to dwell on the negative, but like this is everything we hoped for from the sand snakes that we have yet to see in my Hmm. opinion. Well, I didn't have any hopes for the sand snakes. So I had no idea what by me, uh, by we, I mean me, (laughs) like (laughs) this is everything I hoped for in the sand snakes. And like, you know, Right off the bat, the Sand Snakes, I was like, oh, I am not feeling it. And they have, haven't have gotten there yet. And maybe they might still, but I wish we could have seen more of what they did with this character, what this actress brought to the role um, in, in the Dorn stuff. Um, so I'll tell you, Joanna, that at this point in the episode, you know what I was thinking? I, here is the exact thought that I had. I, th- I said to myself, man, they really did a piss poor job of building up the threat of the White Walkers because – uh, this scene is so consequential, right? That John's going out on a limb, trying to convince these people. None of it makes any difference in the show if we, as the audience, don't have some fear of what the White Walkers are capable of. Mm. And I, I had that thought, and I thought, man, I, I'm really looking forward to complaining about this on the show, <laughs> on the podcast. And then, <laughs> and then, and then the show completely. Uh, resoundingly proved me incorrect. Uh, yeah. Well, not, not necessarily incorrect, but just said, hey, we didn't forget that we need to show you exactly what a threat these, these people are. And actually pose. what I was thinking is I was like, finally, Dave will get to see what a threat the White Walkers are. I'm serious. Like I was like, oh, you know, Dave has been saying the whole time, like <laughs> they keep 
showing them once and I don't really feel them as a threat and they keep building them as a threat and I don't feel it. And I'm like, oh, bam, the show just made you feel it in a big way. So, you know, that's a a question. It's a kind of a thought exercise, right, is – this was incredibly effective, right? You fear – this is the opening of 28 Days Later. It's, it's, you feel like fear for these creatures in a way that you don't feel for pretty much anything else in the show. Uh, and it, it's very clear the threat and and kind of the stakes. And I guess one question is would it have been more effective any other way? I, I, I'm not – I'm just kind of thinking out loud. You know, if they had showed – we, we saw the White Walkers kind of do nasty stuff in literally the very first scene of the show. Right. right? And then in like one or two other scenes, you know, in the baby, the Craster's baby and all that stuff. But would it have been more effective if we had seen like a miniature version of this happen, you know, five episodes ago or a season ago? Right. Or it feels uh, like they compressed, they compressed, you know, three to four years of White Walker character development into 30 minutes. But like with, you know, like with Birgit's character, like I really feel like it worked, but uh, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe we yeah. need to see it. But like, how are they going to show it? Because I feel like even as much as John had seen and Sam had seen, they had not seen. And so they couldn't tell people really what the danger was until they saw this hard home situation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now when John and Ed and Torment go back, with these 5,000 wildlings that they've saved, they have a story that's like, no, seriously, I saw him bring all these people back from the dead with a gesture. Like, <laughs> this is some serious, scary shit that's happening. Um, you know, rather than, like, because the ice, the White Walkers are like legend, basically, in the South. They don't believe they're real. Right. And so... I mean, it's not like John has proof. I guess he could be, but you've got five thousand eyewitnesses, basically, right? right? right. Um, so, so let's say a, a few things. Firstly, the scale of this episode is incredible. I mean, they they <sighs> definitely use tons of CG, but you you felt like they got hundreds, if not thousands, of extras there wearing their white jackets. Yeah, um, that was the, like my one criticism. Is like I feel like, and what else could they do? But the 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 white walker the the wildling uniform looked a little samey to me like it, it looked it, like they all went and got those wholesale it, 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 literally, yeah, it literally looked like they went to ll <laughs> bean and yeah. got them. they didn't they did not feel like something that like oh i looked, took this fur off of right, an animal they did myself. not feel cobbled yeah. together no, from no. you know scraps of yeah. remnants of animals but that, i mean that's okay we whatever can, yeah we, we can forgive that but yeah were you going <laughs> to say something in response to my point about scale generally yeah i was going to say that what i loved about this battle you know you know you know that i had some problems with the battle last year and i have no problems with the battle this year i think they did it so well and I think one of the reasons is that they gradually widened the scope. They did a really good job of keeping the scope small. By and the way they did that basically was that uh, that fence, that wall that they had. So they closed it, and so then what you get is on a small scale you get these like an arm punching through one guy climbing over like bulb, you know, like close ups on this small scale threat. Um, like you see it at the beginning with the avalanche and like the people running, but, but they keep it sort of small scale. And then you get like later, you get the avalanche of zombies and, uh, you know, just the massacre that happened. You know, the wall comes down, the, you know, the longhouse. Well, it, is it, it is just moment after moment of incredible yeah. visuals and moments. Like yeah. it just nonstop. But I do mean, you, do you know what I mean about like how it's not like, 
the the comparison I made in the show notes was to World War Z. I really hate that shot in World War Z where those zombies like mass up and take that helicopter down. Um, and that's in the trailer, so I don't feel like that's a spoiler for World War Z. Zombie but, tornado, aka zombie yeah, tornado. <laughs> zombie tornado. I think that looks cheesy as hell, and I don't like it. And as much as it's meant to give us a sense of scope, I just think it looks so fake that it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like anything to me. I, I agree that they did a really good job of building up to yeah. different moments. It, it's, I mean, you plot you the the kind of intensity level, and it is a linear line straight up, and then you know plummet towards it. I mean, it's still really intense, but just, no, you know, very little happens at the end. It's almost completely silent, but it's still the most haunting shot of the entire show uh, or moments, I should say, not just a single shot. Uh, and it's just moment after moment of incredibleness. You're right. They, they start small. They start with like, oh, hey, there's a hole here. We need to uh, make sure it's blocked. And then, but hey, you cannot stop them. They, they just will keep coming. The giant bursting out of uh, the hall, and then John facing off against. I guess he, he. I think we've seen that guy before, right? That White Walker, the White Walker general dude. Um, right? maybe you know what's interesting is that um, like he might be the same guy we saw that Sam saw right. on the horse. Yep. That was sort of like he has the same similar or maybe the exact same weapon. But what's interesting to me is like for and up until last season, we never saw the White Walkers dressed really. Mm-hmm. Uh, in their, you know, uniform. And I love that they dress them because now they look more substantial. You know, so that guy on his horse, I always thought he looked pretty cheesy when he shows up at the end of season three, I think it is. Season two, maybe. Um, and in his in his uniform, I thought he looked great and so scary. Um, and it just looks less like a CGI confection and more like a real solid thing. Proving once and John. for all that clothes make the white walker <laughs> and that is the axi- it's axiomatic at this yes point. <laughs> uh so yeah th- this moment when john is trying to find uh the dragon glass and then valyrian steel right oh so by the way in the previously on there's a scene where mormont gives john the sword and is like this is valyrian steel yeah and i didn't see the previously on and i'm sorry i feel like that that was a bit of a spoiler uh maybe i guess it just <laughs> I guess so few events you could have predicted in this episode. And also, they did not establish pre- previously that Valyrian Steel actually kills White Walkers, did they? No, no, no. This is, And in fact, it's not even established in the books. It's like... I see. It's uh, a new show invention. Well, right. no. it's it's So, like, Sam discovers in a... Like, in Feast for Crows, Sam and John have a conversation where Sam says, I read in one of my old books while I was doing my research that apparently Dragon Steel works on White Walkers. And John goes, do we think that's Valerian Steel? And Sam's like, yeah, I think that's a pretty good guess. But they don't actually test it. So it's like Sam and John's theory that's proven when John hits that White Walker with, with Longclaw, Mormont's uh, sword. Yeah, yeah which, which prompted uh, us to consider who else has Valerian Steel in the show, right? Because it's right. apparently very rare, right? Yes. So Brienne has a Valerian Steel sword, I believe. Right. And then Tywin melted down the Valerian Steel sword into two separate Valerian Steel swords, right? Well, that, okay, yeah. Do you want me to run it down? Yeah, run it down. All right. So Tywin melted down ice, which was Ned Stark's Valerian steel sword, the Stark family sword. I mean, the thing you need to know about um, these Valerian blades is they're called like ancestral blades, like they belong to a family. So John is actually carrying the Mormont ancestral blade because mm. 
the, com- the commander Mormont's son, Jorah, has been exiled, so he doesn't have an heir. So he gave his sword to John, basically. So, um, you know, it has that heft to it. So anyway, ice was melted down. Uh, one half was given to Jamie, who then gave it to Brienne. That's Oathkeeper. The other half was given to Joffrey on his wedding. It was called Widow's Whale. The last time we really saw it was when Joffrey was laid out on his uh, funeral bier. Um, according to George R. R. Martin, that sword has been passed down to Tommen, but we haven't really seen oh, well, it. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the most useful person, you know. Um, so, um, okay, so that's that. Um, the dagger that was used to assassinate Bran is made of Valyrian steel, and actually Littlefinger has that right now. Um, the... Um, what else do I want to say? Oh, Sam Tarley's dad, Randall Tarley, has one. Um, and then, like, so a lot of the major families have them, but they don't talk about the major families on the show that much. So it's sort of hard to say. Gotcha. So, but there's not that many. Maybe well, okay. So the, this is, sorry, this is the quote from the book that I was looking for while I was trying to remember the name of all the swords, which is that um, Tyrion says, in the books, Valyrian steel blades were scarce and costly, yet thousands remained in the world, perhaps 200 in the Seven Kingdoms alone. Hmm. So that doesn't sound like n- not that many, right. but um, they are precious to the families that have them. And so John in the books at one point, you know, when Sam's like, hey, it looks like dragon steel might work um, on on White Walkers, John goes, yeah, good luck getting those in- like those families to give up their Valyrian steel swords uh so that's you know that's a challenge potentially for john right uh and regardless it's it's not as though oh we discovered valerian steel beats white walkers and you know that's the silver bullet as it were we're we're all set it's not a slam dunk that they're going to win now that they have this knowledge uh i do think it's a, a little weird right what exactly defeats white walkers it's cool that White Walkers have weapons that kind of dissolve human weapons, but then, you know, there there are there do appear to be some White Walkers that they're defeating by uh, traditional means, or is are we to assume that when they chop a zombie in half, that the zombie reassembles itself somehow later or comes back to life somehow? So there's a difference between a White Walker and a white, which is W-I-G-H-T, which mm, is, okay. you know, um, sort of like a thrall, a zombie thrall, right? I see. Like, like the skeletons. Those right. Are, or those are the whites. So basically everyone we saw that wasn't in one of those slick uniforms was a white gotcha. W-I-G-H-T. And everyone, like the, you know, the generals and the lieutenants, those are white walkers. So to make a white walker, it seems like the baby we saw last season, like that's how you make a white walker. You don't resurrect a dead person to make a white walker you sort of get a baby and do something to it gotcha so right? the white the people that they arrived at the end those are whites theoretically correct gotcha. so yeah so like uh the great wildling um warrior mom carsey is is a white now but right. not a white walker which by um, the way when, when she put her kids in the boat and says oh i'll be right behind you you just know one of those parties is not going to make it out of this alive <laughs> well yeah i've gotten so many messages today from people being like uh i knew she was gonna i'm like yeah we all knew like we've yeah. all seen a we've all good seen job. a movie good job, good job. <laughs> <laughs> we know she's not gonna make it but for How, me who is gonna make it that's the question well but also for me like it's one thing to realize that in the heat of a of a like 40 minute battle sequence and another to have like 
like years to prepare for Oberyn Martell to die. For me, from a book reader perspective, it's like I might know that she's not going to make it through the episode, but I don't have time to process that. Whereas with Ob, you know, as a it was a unique yeah. experience as a book reader for Oberyn. Like you, you prepared your, you were able to prepare yourself to like steal yourself. Yeah. Um, what did I want to say about? Oh, oh, okay. So back to like what it takes to defeat a White Walker, though. Um, one thing we saw in this episode that that was sort of revelatory um, that I thought was really cool is when that White Walker comes into the burning building for John, uh, he doesn't just walk through flame. He actually actively puts out yeah. the flames because yeah. he's so cold, I guess. Right. Um, so they're not just impervious to fire. They like they they put out fire. Um but and this is not book knowledge. This is just like you know common sense. If dragon glass, aka obsidian, and dragon steel, aka Valerian steel, uh, defeats a White Walker, then my guess is dragon fire is going to have some uh, impact on mm. them. Not book knowledge, <laughs> just a just guess. intuition. Yeah, you know. So, um, and this is fun for me. Like it's a weird experience to be like in the realm of speculation. You know. Um, but, you know, <laughs> dragon fire versus, you know, it's called a song of ice and fire. So if it ends up being ice zombies versus dragons, it's not, you know, too much of a surprise. Right. right. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, just amazing moment after amazing moment. And then this. Uh, so John kills the dude and, and he's like, you know, gravely injured during this fight. The, the giant apparently is just going to walk to wherever they're going, I guess. Can, <laughs> he can just survive. He's just like, okay, I'm just, I'm just gonna take off. Uh, but the moment when they just throw all those whites over the edge of the cliff. Oh yeah, the zombie is, avalanche. It's, incre- <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible yeah. uh, because it just is such as it's, it's kind of like, hey, we don't adhere to your rules, right? Like we don't. Uh, our uh, soldiers don't need to worry about walking downstairs. They can just jump over and they'll be okay. And the way that it's shot and the way it's conveyed is incredible. Yeah, I think Weiss and Benioff were just like so pleased with themselves and and rightly so with that moment. I think in the post episode video, they were like, you know, we wanted that moment for them to like fall, be down and then get back up, you know, like that those beats. uh, So good. So great. And then this moment when Carsey can't bring herself to attack the uh, oh, white children. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, did we see that girl in the first episode of the show? It looked to me like the girl from the pilot. It, but I mean, obviously time, can't be the same actress. Yeah, but, it can't uh, because she obviously has aged in that time, right? And so. I feel like if it were the exact – supposed to be the exact same, she would have been front and center instead of that like ribcage kid. But right. like um, <laughs> she looked exactly the same. Not – you know, I'm not saying all – white people look the same but uh i think you're looks- saying all whites look the same joanna <laughs> a little bit patently offensive yes uh also but it also it would make sense that she would look identical right because well, I, no, no, yeah, theoretically whites that, that, don't age yeah it makes sense that the zombie would look i mean she might look a little more decomposed <laughs> right um in theory yeah yeah uh and then this incredible scene where they just get it for, firstly i was kind of confused like do whites not swim that was a question. It's a good question. I, I, <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's just, can they not go after him by a when, when I was posting on Twitter about the dragon glass and the dragon steel and the dragon fire, someone's like, and water, apparently. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. Well, no, no, because they're in water. They're not 
outside of the water, but they don't go after them. I guess they can't. So maybe because they're only bones, like they can't get maybe. the proper friction or uh anyway or maybe the knight's king like silently was like go tell them what you saw you know right. tell them right. i'm coming you know so then he just raises his hands and and the, the moment takes forever i mean it just seems like it feels like it takes a really long time for you to see what he's doing they really stretch that out for all it's worth and not i, I don't say that begrudgingly i say that admiringly uh and then all the dead people including carsey come alive so what what were your thoughts on any other moments that I missed that you feel worth highlighting or Well, I want to talk about the score a little bit and you're usually better than I am at talking about that kind of stuff, but I thought the score in some points almost sounded like a horror film, which is not a rare for Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um and I also wanted to talk about the part where the white walker in the burning building jumps down. Uh, it almost seems like he like half floated to the ground. It was really scary mm. to me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts on the score? Yeah, I, I thought it was absolutely terrifying, and the way they use the score and silence at the end of the episode, I thought was just incredibly effective. Yeah, the silence was amazing. That it cut to credits and it was silent for a little while, oh, just like the oh, water chills. lapping. And you're just, on the you're, shore. just you're just your mouth is agape at what you just yeah. saw. Yeah, it is incredible, incredible. It's difficult in times like that to figure out how how to. Get the balance of like score and silence because you want silence because it's very effective, but you also uh, the music can sometimes help accentuate the moment. So I found that, I thought they found a great balance. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't cut to like a raucous version of the Bear and the Maiden Fair yeah. or whatever they did that time. They cut uh, Jamie's yeah. hand off. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really liked Ed in this whole thing um, as a character. I mean, he's such a like C string character, but he added some really good flavor. I thought, and I just think that they were so smart with how they populated. Um, the, the wildlings. wildlings. You've got Carsey, you've got the Fen you can recognize, you've got Tormund, you've got John, you've got Ed, you've got a giant. And that's basically all you can track. Right. Right? In a scene like this. And then you've just got like hundreds of bodies everywhere. Um, someone did ask on Twitter why there was an, there, why there was a boat waiting for John, um, conveniently. Uh, there is a part earlier where John tells one of the Night's Watchmen, go row these wildlings to the, the boat and come back for me. So they did like, you know, yeah, it's a it's a good question to ask because there was a, a press for boats, right? Like there were just people like right. jumping on those boats. So why was there conveniently a boat for Ed and Torben and John? And I think it's because you know he arranged a ride. Basically, the other thing I want to address: a lot of people are asking. There's a hooded figure at the prow of the boat or the front of the boat. Um, yeah, and I yeah. was convinced that it was a White Walker. So it felt like a deleted scene to me. It was really weird looking. Yeah. But uh, I've watched it a bunch of times now, you know, and you know, book readers being the conspiracy theorists that they are had a million suggestions for who that hooded figure might be. Um, but they, the camera pans on that guy's face and it's just a guy with a beard. So it's just a guy. It looks so weird. And I really think that well, it must have been covering for some sort of technical – I bet there was some sort of technical thing there that they needed to put like – a cloak and a hood over that's what it looked like to me that they were covering something interesting you know? I, I think the yeah the reason why it looks so weird is because they conspicuously did not show his face they show it once but like in the main moment yeah and and you'd figure a guy in that situation would probably turn around and turn look around. at what's yeah. going on <laughs> yeah exactly so he's just behaving yeah. in a very bizarre fashion I agree. I agree and and in a way that arouses a lot of suspicion i like i thought 
that the dude was going to like take off his thing and he was a White Walker and he's going to kill everyone in the boat. <laughs> I thought that was a significant possibility. I thought it was going to be like a character, you know, a, a book character, but I, it's not. I, I think it's just a hooded person. <laughs> I think right. that there was like no one in the editing bay that was like, this looks kind of weird because <laughs> <laughs> it does. Well, we spent four weeks shooting this. I'm not going to go back to get another pickup of that guy's face. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. What else did I want to say? Oh, are you clear on the knights? Who the knights king is? Should we have like a refresher on that at all? Or the knights king? Okay, so that's the guy with like the pointy, the, the pointy crown. The conveniently, yeah. like it looked like it's part of his body. Yeah. But conveniently, his skull has points. Yes. To indicate that he is uh, the leader of the White Walkers, presumably. Right. So this was like a big controversy last year because. Uh, his like his character name was accidentally because we saw him last year. His character name was accidentally leaked by HBO in like some random document that the internet, of course, picked up on. That he was called the Night's King, and the Night's King is a character of legend in the books that you've never seen in the books. So it was kind of a big deal that this was like confirmation that the Night's King exists and he's a real thing. Um, and who the Night's King is, according to the books, is he's actually a former. Um, Lord Commander of the Watch. He's the thirteenth Lord Commander of the Watch, and for a perspective, John is like the he's the nine hundred ninety eighth Commander of the of the Watch. So the Night King thirteenth. His name was Bran Stark. Actually, he was a Stark, um, and he fell in love basically with a White Walker woman. And, um, what? Yeah. And she like turned him and then he, they like took up residence at, at the, the wall and like, you know, ruled in their icy undead way. And then, um, it took like, it took a combined force of like the king beyond the wall. So like a manspreader can like, you know, contemporary of the time, uh, the Stark brothers, it took everyone to t- like, roused him from the wall so this is, this is like a really big cool important character um that we saw um but that's all book backstory but yeah he, so he's a former lord commander which i think is cool a stark a, a brand stark a brandon stark which is also cool um yeah so what's interesting about this whole uh plot with the white walkers is it feels a lot like i am legend um so spoilers for i am legend coming up but basically <laughs> the dog the, dies okay sorry. <laughs> the plot of that I, I mean okay if we're, if we're talking about the william matheson original text oh, okay is, is it's about how this guy uh is like trying to you know going around and trying to thwart these zombies and what you discover at the end is that the zombies are a whole society right, right. and that he is the criminal element uh, and so then you start realizing in this episode, I feel like that these White Walkers have a society that they – I mean we already kind of saw it in the Craster episode. But there is a hierarchy. One dude apparently has pointy head and so therefore he is like the leader. They wear clothes. you know. Uh, the idea that you could fall in love with one, I feel like – I don't know that the show gives you enough to make that a plausible no, it's situation. Re- What's really cool? Well, and we haven't seen any female White Walkers yet. Yeah, I mean, we, she's we not. We don't see them talk, do we? Right? <laughs> I don't think we've seen any White Walkers say any words yet. She's not necessarily a White. Her she's described as skin as white as the moon and eyes like blue stars. That sounds like a White Walker to me, but. Um, uh, so she's not even confirmed to be a White Walker then. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> come on. All right. <laughs> um, All right. <laughs> but um, so. What was I going to say about the talking thing? Yeah. And then that's a really good point. I think it makes their threat all the more ominous is that they have not articulated 
what we don't know what they want. Right. To kill everyone? Is that their goal? Like what is their ultimate goal? Right. And and that's an even scarier foe, is it not? If 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 someone's like, you know, we want to conquer Westeros or we want it to be winter all the time or whatever, you know, whatever it is the White Walker agenda is. But we don't know and that's terrifying. But we and know that they probably have an agenda because they have they they clearly have intelligence of some sort. They're not just yeah. mi- they're not just mindless creatures essentially. Right. right. The, the whites are. Um right. yeah, but the white walkers are not. And um yeah, as you say, they have ritual, they steal babies from Craster's wives occasionally um or or are given babies from Craster's wives. They have a uniform. I mean, that is the, one of the more interesting evolutions is to go from the white walkers we saw who were dressed in like rags and loincloths and stuff like that to these, you know, well-appointed, you know, scary looking, you know, uh, warriors. So also another question that comes to mind is why didn't the white walkers harm Sam when they had the chance? Um, He killed it with obsidian. No, no, no. But remember that scene at the end of season two, when he, that was, that was confusing. In the middle of all these people, maybe because well, he was like kind of hiding behind the rock, so I feel like it wasn't clear where that if they saw him. I'm pretty sure one looked right it at him. It Seemed like they made eye contact. <laughs> I will agree with that. I'm so just saying. Maybe that. they're just like the Borg in Star Trek, where they don't hurt you <laughs> if they don't perceive you as a threat. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, so, <laughs> or maybe they're like T Rexes, where if you don't move, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this episode, Jana? It was so good, right? It was really good. Really I think good. they did a great job. You know, they've been working so hard to build John up as, you know, a believable leader and one you want to root for. And I think they had a problem getting there initially. I think they did such a good job of late getting him there and, and, and it really paid off this episode. Agreed. Um, I, I do think it's stupid he did not bring his direwolf. It's not like Ghost would have won the battle for them, but maybe would have saved Carsey or something like that right. uh, if the direwolf had been there. But um, yeah, and so now they're headed back to the wall with 5,000 wildlings. So. All right. Uh, well, stay tuned to hear a discussion about something that both of us are very passionate about. Oh. But in the meantime, <laughs> Jonna, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me on VanityFair.com writing about Game of Thrones all the time or you can follow me on Twitter talking about Game of Thrones all the time or you can listen to me talking about Game of Thrones spoilers on the Storm of Spoilers podcast. Find all of my work at DaveChen.net and uh, hope you'll check me out there. All right. So, Joanna, before we exit for the day, we got to mention that there is a storm brewing between you and me. Uh, it's true. It's a it's long true. running debate which actually the uh, director of the new Star Wars film uh, got into on Twitter Yeah, and, and whose side is he on? Uh, it was hard to tell, actually. Oh, really? Really? No, no it wasn't. <laughs> um, but uh, basically, there are some people who think that Ollie is a useless character, and there's some people like me who thinks Ollie rules. Yeah. Uh, and I think you said something on Twitter along the lines of, this is my new favorite subreddit, and it's... Uh, so for, for those who don't know, Reddit has these sub-communities called subreddits. If you go to reddit.com slash whatever the subreddit is, you can find these communities. And you said, I think this is my favorite subreddit, reddit.com slash fuck Ollie, which you go there. It's a lot of people who really don't like Ollie. Yeah. And uh, they really <laughs> – 
they really they're violently opposed to all. Let me just say it is a little disquieting that you know it, it's an actual child actor who's playing this character. And I have people, nothing against that child actor. They, He's got they, the voice of a little angel. There's people who are wishing violent things against that character who wanted to uh. die horribly. Fortunately, there is a force for good in the world to count to bring uh. balance uh, to the force, and that is my new subreddit, Reddit.com/slash Ollie Rules. And so I say, we put it out to our listeners this week. Join reddit.com slash Ollie, uh, fuck Ollie, or reddit.com slash Ollie Rules. I'll put the, the links in the show notes. And register your support for which side of this battle you're on. Uh, I have to say that like, if I didn't make the fuck Ollie Reddit, Reddit right? Like yeah. subreddit. You made the Ollie Rules one. I didn't make the original one. If I had, it would have been like something a little more benign, like Ollie Drools or Ollie Dot Sucks or something like that. Right. You know, fuck Ollie is a little stronger. Fuck Ollie is pretty strong. It's pretty strong. <laughs> Probably not the wording I would have used, but that kid's the worst, and I hope he dies. So, yeah. I saw this movie San Andreas last week, which also has a young British kid named Ollie who didn't is. You, didn't you say a useless kid yes, named Ollie? Yes, which I thought, man, Joanna would really enjoy this movie. <laughs> But anyway, reddit.com slash fuck Ollie or reddit.com slash Ollie rules. Uh, guys, go to these subreddits, join them. Because right now, reddit.com slash fuck Ollie is 107 subscribers. And reddit.com slash Ollie rules, I believe, is like eight. How you got seven people to join you? <laughs> I cannot <laughs> confirm or deny that I did not make all those accounts myself. <laughs> Uh, but I, we need support regardless, guys. So reddit.com slash Ollie Rules. And uh, we'll report back in uh, in a week. I guess we can't – I would say like don't do, don't do spoilers, but he's not a book character, right? So we don't know what's going to happen to him. Yeah, but I mean – You could probably guess. There are some guesses, so be, be so gentle. Don't be, be a, don't be a dick about don't it. Don't be a you dick know. about it, yeah. But that being said, we will be watching very closely what happens <laughs> on, on reddit.com slash fuck Ollie and reddit.com slash Ollie Rules. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll see you guys next week. Only two episodes remain of A Cast of Kings.